Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Professional Insight. Happy New Year from all of us here on the show. Uh, we're really excited for 2021, but uh, honestly, who isn't? Uh, if you're one of our longtime listeners, you are undoubtedly noticing that this episode isn't starting the way we normally produce our show. We had invited Sarah Ives from the Netflix docuseries Pandemic back on for a follow-up uh, to her last episode that we had recorded, uh, and we, when we had hopped on the call, we started into some great conversation. Uh, the reality is uh, it was unrelated to the episode, and an effort to stay on point uh, for you, uh, we, I, I had to cut some of that out. Uh, unfortunately, by doing so, we didn't have much of an intro, uh, so you know, had to add something in. Anyways, the final point that I do want to make is that we had recorded this episode in October 2020 prior to the release uh, of any data uh, or approval of COVID, the various COVID-19 vaccines. So uh, keep that in mind when you're listening. Anyways, I hope you enjoy the show. Thanks. Yes, that's right. From the guinea pig to the ferret, right? You transition your... Um, from the regular pig to regular the ferret. Right. So, yes. So, the as a recap, we, chatted, um, we ran three animal it's studies in Guatemala. Those were all done on pigs. You were regular old farm pigs. Not old. They're piglets. They're young. They're little ones, yeah. <laughs> we were still lost. But just the standard farm pig that's spread for pork right? and all that. Um, we ran those three studies as proof of concept to test the theory of our vaccine. So we gave it the vaccine, and then we'd take little amounts of blood draws, and then we would test their blood to see if they had antibodies against influenza for many, many strains, like a century of influenza. Um, so those studies were sufficient for the proof of concept, but we didn't actually give them any live virus to challenge them to see if those antibodies would like truly be protective. Um, because we were limited by what we could do with the regulations in Guatemala and shipping viruses and all that. Um, so once we ran those studies, we applied for the Gates grant through the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and we uh -huh. won that grant. And then with that grant money, which is 200 million, yay. So uh -huh. again, <laughs> sorry, 2 million. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm hallucinating. <laughs> I wish it was 200 million. <laughs> no, it's 2 million. Um, <laughs> So two million spoiler, is great. Two million is great. Yeah, two million is a lot of dollars. Yeah. So, um, where was I going? Oh with this? my oh, yeah. god! So that's like you know one of the spoilers oh, from the Netflix okay. show is Still, we, we win the grant. Money. They kind of built it all up and they actually caught it like live when we won it, which was completely random coincidence, but pretty awesome. Um, yeah. So that the two million dollars will get us through the next round of animal studies, as well as all the assays around it and hiring a couple people to deal with all of it and like setting up for um, either like additional animal, animal studies if necessary. Otherwise, filing IND, which is the paperwork needed to start um, a phase one clinical trial. Um, it, yeah. Yeah. So that. So to go from like that proof of concept in pigs to mm -hmm. start testing in humans, we actually have to do a couple more tests. One is in ferrets and the other one is more in pigs. And for both of those, we're going to give them the vaccine and then with humans, basically one? spray them in the face with live influenza virus and see if they get sick or not. Okay. So that's like the ultimate test. Like, does it work? Sure. If it works sure. on them, then it's probably going to work on humans too. So, so then you go phase one, so phase two, phase three. 
So the ferret and the pigs are actually broken up into two parts each. So first in each ferret and each pig study, they have to, okay. we're testing different adjuvants. So we're trying to find, like whenever you administer a vaccine, there's the actual like and viral then... components of the vaccine plus some chemicals that allow your immune system to kind of wake up and be like, oh, hey, something just got injected that's foreign. Let's go make a response against it. Mm. Um, interestingly, the flu vaccine we get every year does not contain any adjuvants, which is kind of funny because all the anti-vaxxers are like, that's primarily what they're against is the, the chemicals and the adjuvants. And what I think they don't realize is there actually aren't any adjuvants in the seasonal flu vaccine. Mm. Um, anyways, that point aside, no adjuvants they call are. The response. Yeah, it, it's some it's some compound or chemical that's administ co-administered with the dead or weakened virus, so that your body will wake up. Um, so uh -huh. traditionally, um, a f like different so forms of aluminum are injected viruses? with the virus. That's so alum, like alum hydroxide, basically different types of alum are the tried and true method for safe yet very effective adjuvants. Because if, sometimes if you, if you just inject the virus by itself, like the dead virus, um, sometimes nothing happens. Like you don't actually produce antibodies against okay. it. But if you inject something that looks like definitely foreign, like alum, your body's gonna be like, okay, wake up, like turn, turn on, like let's start monitoring Body caffeine almost, eh? Yeah, but there's this delicate balance of finding adjuvants that are strong enough to wake up the immune system, and but also precise enough to kind of activate the specific parts of the immune system to get an antibody response without causing any adverse effects, because you definitely don't want it to be toxic. So modern adjuvants, I mean, although alum is used still in a lot of vaccines and it has like decades of safety, um, there are other adjuvants that have been basically removed from standard use. Um, like I think way back, like our parents might've received vaccines with mercury in them. Yeah, that's what everybody gets scared about the most is the mercury, I think. Yeah, but that's not used anymore um, to my knowledge. And then also there's a kind of a new generation of adjuvants that is starting to be used in the last few years. Um, and, and also a bunch, I think in clinical trials that are basically just um, oil and water emulsion. So it's literally just oil with like water around it. And that sort of like hydrophilic, hydrophobic mix is looks foreign enough to your body where they're like, hey, what is this? I should go check this out. So there's oil and water, there's water and oil and water, kind of like a three-way sandwich. There's basically these combinations of like very safe compounds that your body would normally see, but their specific combination together it looks foreign enough that it's a good adjuvant. So we're exploring some of those like ultra safe, ultra neutral types of adjuvants with the pigs and the ferrets. And hmm. we're trying to figure out like what is the best combination of our vaccine components plus adjuvant to generate the strongest response while using the least amount of vaccine. So when do the phase one start? <laughs> well, <laughs> oh man, I don't know. I think our we're hoping for... Let's see. Well, we need to do the adjuvant study, which is like four months. And then we're going to start the actual challenge study, which is where they actually get sprayed in the nose using the best adjuvant. So that would be another three months-ish. So I think we would not be starting a phase one clinical trial before 2022, but <clears throat> I, I hope that in 2022 or 2023, we could start the phase one. 
and the, some of the Gates money should go to that too. But if these animal studies look as good as we think they will, um, there's the potential for 10 million more from Gates. Huh? Nice. Yeah. That's funny that you asked that. Um, so I'm not entirely sure of how it works because we, so we're currently recruiting or soon to be recruiting volunteers for our clinical trial so for our COVID will you antibody be therapeutic. As um, and that's scheduled to start in early 2021. And because of the Netflix show and just like the fame around our company and people reaching out to me and Jake, we have a list of like, hundreds if not a thousand or more people that have asked to be volunteers on the trial which i think is kind of awesome because it's like such an easy list i don't know if we have any control over that because like you basically outsource a clinical trial to like a company that runs clinical trials um but i would love to be able to like hey all these people want to do it it would be so easy because they would definitely say yes i'm sure there's like you know age and limitations and they need certain people of we'll, each we'll let you use trevor you can use trevor if you want yeah. There's also the issue of like, like I know we have to run a trial in the, in the country that we're going to try to get approval in. So yeah. for like our COVID drug, we thought about just like doing a trial overseas because it was easier to get it going, but then we couldn't get it approved by the FDA in the U.S. So <laughs> I, yeah, but it's possible that they could do a trial of like Canadians and Americans. I don't know how that works, but it's definitely That'd be too competitive, too competitive. <laughs> Yeah. You guys remember those old radio commercials that we used to have where these radio commercials on 102 and stuff, they'd ask you to, uh, um, if you'd like to receive money, call in, right? You know, if you're between the ages of this and this, you have a heroin addiction, please uh, apply to our study for uh, whatever. Oh, yeah. it I should to make be. a commercial. I should like leverage the Netflix fame and be like, do you? Do you, did you like the Netflix show Pandemic? If so, do you want to get oh, our yeah. antibody therapy? <laughs> I mean, I watched it as a kid. Yeah. Bill Hartman. Yeah. That was yeah. like Brandon. <laughs> That's funny. That must oh. be illegal. Like, it's got to be illegal to advertise for a trial like that. <laughs> yeah, we'll get you through some loopholes. We literally oh, used to like have video commercials where yeah they'd be like Troy McClure random tests like and he always used to start off every introduction so and they would ask you oh, like, yeah. if you're Hi, between a certain age and uh you know if if it was maybe like for uh anti-addiction medication or whatever they'd That'd say be if funny, you've though. been addicted to these drugs or whatever it happens to be and it's funny too because they sometimes it was like a two thousand dollar compensation and you'd hear it and I, I always chuckled and laughed I'm like who the hell is actually picking up the phone calling them to to put their name down i did once for cartons of cigarettes did you oh wow yeah. there we go we had you that, to like, smoke a carton <laughs> when Jesus. i was an undergrad <laughs> yeah that's terrible just for, a <laughs> for like 200 bucks for a study <laughs> carton of smokes I yeah, when that. i was i was in Costs. college when I was an undergrad, like the school newspaper and stuff, they'd had advertisements all the time for like the psychology department that would pay you a hundred bucks if you would come in and they'd put <laughs> some electrodes on you or that you just like fill out a questionnaire. Or once they they like needed to recruit people for like a marijuana study. And I was like, well, whether Sign they me want up. me to smoke it or they want me to not smoke it, I'm down either way. And I ended up getting assigned to the group that like was not supposed to smoke marijuana for 12 weeks, which... <sighs> 
um, was fine because like I didn't normally, but there were definitely like a few occasions where I was at a party. I was like, I can't take it because I'm getting paid two hundred dollars to not smoke marijuana for twelve weeks. <laughs> well, I felt so but, like. Oh, I'm did you paid. inhale anyways in the room? I don't if you inhale, you're in trouble. Oh yeah, I don't know, but hey, I got a couple hundred dollars out of it, so it was, <laughs> whatever I did, it was worth it. Psychology department. What are we doing? When is COVID going to be gone, Sarah? When? When's it gone? I want to go to a concert. Ooh. I want to go to Jamaica. I want to. I want to see game. some friends again. I want to watch hockey. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I feel you it know, too. The pandemic fatigue—it's—it's it's definitely setting in. Oh, it's coming yeah, back now too, which is worse because I feel like we're going to be shutting down again soon. I'm like, oh my god. Yeah, I think. Well kind of a grim answer, no, Jeff, but just, I don't think just it's going to be over anytime soon so. because <laughs> I'm optimistic that vaccines will get approved relatively soon, but it's going to be the first wave. Like the, the BioNTech slash Pfizer vaccine is looking pretty good. Um, well, as Johnson well as, and Johnson just shut it down. Like, yeah, yeah, that one got Johnson put on pause. Not looking pause. Good. Yeah, pause. but the Moderna and one's looking good. <laughs> yeah, bed bugs are bad. <laughs> Um, but yeah, the Pfizer one just got halted this week. Um, AstraZeneca was halted, I think, in September, and I'm pretty sure it's still paused. But I mean, these are all just the first wave. I think at least one of those companies or one of the other, there's like six or seven other front runners that are just slightly behind those in terms of their status and trials. Um, well, the Sputnik, that's the one yeah, that was in the Russian one. The Russian one. Yeah, yeah, I'm not as familiar with the international ones, but but yeah, I mean, I think there's going to be vaccines that are approved, um, probably not by the election, or at least I hope not, because that's way too rushed. But um, that was what yeah. I was going to ask you. Trump it, is it saying depends. it's going to be. It depends, right? Yeah. But I, I think like by the end of the year or like in the first quarter of 2021, we'll probably have one or multiple of those approved. But then the real work begins. So from everything that I've been reading and like talking to people in my industry, um, and in related ones, it's just that once you make it, like they're scrambling to manufacture it ahead of approval, which is good. But the pure logistics of trying to like QC all of those, distribute all of them, get them to the providers, get the people to go get them and actually administer them. And most of them will require a shot and a boost. So they have to convince the entire population to not only get their butts out to the clinic or wherever once, but twice. And like, think of how hard it is to get people to go vote like once, like try, it, can you imagine having people go vote twice? And when it's like even less accessible because it's not just like a random polling place, you have to like go to a clinic and go out of your way and it's in business hours and- Canadians so, look, are, Canadians I, are lining up. <laughs> I was gonna say, it depends on how <laughs> long the lineup the is. <laughs> yeah. And if and the lineup's the 11 hours for the vaccine, then it, maybe it'll take uh, it, it, less people going. <laughs> Yeah, but but unlike voting, which is free, the vaccines, at least in the U.S., might not be free. And I don't they really know. Here. Oh, that's good. I, I don't know how it'll be here. Like, I'm sure there'll be some subsidization, but then when you have to deal with, like, different insurance carriers, it's, it's going to be a logistical nightmare. And also, it's going to take a long, long time. So so on top of, okay, so say it gets improved, approved January 2021. Oh. I I, it'll probably take like a year to roll it out to like the highest, most sensitive groups, like 
at-risk people, old mm-hmm. people, which it won't even work in any ways because vaccines don't work well in old people, but they're going to probably get vaccinated. Super like, high dose of like the, the flu vaccine. Yeah. yeah. So, I, I mean, it's going to take maybe a year, maybe more to get it rolled out. And people like me who like, I can basically work remote except for random times when I have to go to lab. I'm like young and healthy. I don't have kids. I don't have to go to school. I'm literally like the last person anyone would care about for getting a vaccine. So I don't expect to get one in 2021. um, That's for sure. And then, so on top of that, it's just going to take a long time. But that first wave of vaccines may not necessarily be the best vaccines because they're really just trying to rush to get something that's 50% effective or better out and that's safe and effective. So that's a pretty low bar. Like the flu vaccine is 50% effective on average and the flu vaccine sucks. Like we're pouring millions and billions of dollars into creating a universal vaccine like globally because 50% effectiveness, that's an F. It's a solid F. And that's the bar is like, can you make an F vaccine? Yeah. If it's, if it's effective at 50%, solid F. Flip a coin, a, right? Yeah. And, and so that means that like, even if you've gotten the vaccine, you still ha- will probably still have to wear a mask because it's probably not effective. So like our mask wearing days and our, you know, social distancing are nowhere near over probably until the second wave of vaccines comes and hopefully one of those will be better. But I'm, yeah, <laughs> I was reading so another article. year. Yeah, I don't know. 2022? <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, I think 2021 is going to be more like this than than back to normal again, because uh, I was reading an article in the New York Times about this yesterday, actually. And it was describing how like with the low bar of efficacy and the fact that these are just like the first wave of vaccines, that we're all probably going to be wearing masks for all of 2021 and kind of keeping life the status quo. Um, and then hopefully there will be a second or third wave of vaccines that's more effective, but we, we just don't know that. There's just so many unknowns about this virus. It's hard to say um, like if immunity lasts and if, so vaccines basically elicit um, like false immunity because your body thinks that you've been exposed. So it, it makes antibodies that protect you. But what we've seen from people that have been infected, say like February, March, April, now some people are getting infected again. So their infections, while they may have provided them with antibodies for a little while, um, if the infections weren't severe or for whatever reason, they can get sick again. And actually, I think a Dutch person just died this month, maybe, because he got infected for a second time. So it was severe enough with another viral outbreak that that happened. And, And someone in Nevada also got infected a second time. So... Yeah, (laughs) but it seems to be more of the anomaly, though, right? I mean, I guess it hasn't been that widespread enough, right? To think most people catch it, they're probably gonna start wearing a mask, though. You're not gonna say, "Well, hey, I got it once, I'm done." You know, some people are the United States is saying he's immune. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Although, okay, it is true that some people who get infected and recover do have very strong and long-lasting antibody responses. There's actually been like quite a few really interesting papers in the last two months about that, which brings me to my other topic of convalescent plasma, which we should definitely go over um, with our like Guatemala collaboration and stuff. Um, But it appears that some people, there seems to be a a correlation between um, the sicker they get, the better their response is, which makes Mm. sense. (laughs) It's like pretty intuitive, but people that are 
um, a little bit older, like over 40 or 50 and have to get hospitalized actually produce the best antibodies that are the longest lasting. Oh. Um, yeah. And, and that, that's actually really promising because it, it kind of like shines light on the fact that like immunity is possible to COVID. And if we can just elicit that type of immunity from a vaccine in everybody, then mm-hmm. we actually, there is hope for vaccines being a cure for this. I think we, we can just replicate a strong one. Eh? Exactly. Replicate it like a strong infection without you actually getting sick. And, and mm-hmm. so, so I, I am optimistic. It's just that I don't, we'll see if this first wave, the first wave of vaccines might get us there, but it might not. Well, Okay, so you, you, you said a big, a couple big words there, and well, I got plasma. Okay, yeah. Okay, so what was that? And I saw that on LinkedIn, so. Well, you have your, your I don't want to say medicine, but your, that you take for COVID that's under analysis right now, right? Yeah, so there's, there's two treatments that um, our company is basically working on. One is a monoclonal antibody. That's a recombinant antibody. So it's like a synthetic antibody that you can generate in a lab or in a bioreactor vat. It's basically like a bunch of copies of the same exact protein sequence. Um, And that can be scaled up and manufactured and delivered as a purified drug. So that's like um, similar Similar to to what Trump took, right? Yes, exactly. So the Regeneron cocktail is a combination of, I believe it is two different antibodies. So it's two of those monoclonals mixed together. Um, So uh, we have a similar one, but ours is only one because ours is more potent and more safe. So we can actually administer it at like one eighth the dose that Trump received um, for less side effects, less toxicity, all that, but equally as potent at one eighth the dose. So that's kind of like, we don't need a cocktail. They're basically combining two weak antibodies together that have a synergistic effect, but ours we think is more potent than even their, their combination. Yeah. Um, but, but anyway, so that's, that's the one and that's in manufacturing right now, actually with Millipore, um, which is one of like the biggest, you know, companies for pharma biotech manufacturing. Um, and we're aiming to start clinical trials early 2021. I'm not sure the start date yet, but I know they're like figuring out all those details right now. So that's our antibody therapeutic. And that would be for people who are ill. Um, I think the clinical trial would be for people with moderate to severe symptoms. Um, I don't know if hospitalization, if they need to be hospitalized, but as long as they have like severe or moderate symptoms, and I think they could get it. I- I'm just not exactly sure what patient population we're targeting first. Um, so, so that's our, our COVID monoclonal, but separately we're exploring this idea of convalescent plasma, which many other groups and universities and hospitals have too. It's basically if someone gets severely ill and recovers, they likely have good antibodies against it. Um, and you can harvest those antibodies by, by drawing their blood, extracting out the plasma and then giving them back the, the red was it like poli- Was it polio that they initially had done that for? It might be. There, there was one. There was one infectious disease in relatively recent history that they had done. That's how they treated it. It might be polio. They've done it, I believe, for influenza. It, it, they've done it for a, a multiple different types of viruses. But it, it, it's a very effective treatment sometimes. Um, but the, the story goes is... that the doctor put it in his kid. <laughs> I, right? I believe it. it it's actually. 
it's quite safe as long as it, as long as you're matched by blood type and all that and you like screen people for hep c and hiv it's actually a, a very safe treatment the problem is it's super hit or miss because if you take that person's blood who recovered you have no idea if they actually have good antibodies um, right now we we have some tools to test for that but so far the clinical trials that have been using convalescent plasma are still the results are super mixed um, because they're they're like the FDA guidelines. If you want to get convalescent plasma um, to donate, all you have to do is show that you had a positive COVID test. They don't even require you to show that you have antibodies against it. Um, I, that's definitely preferred, um, but that's not even a bar for entry. So what we're doing in collaboration with University of San Carlos in Guatemala with Dr. Erwin Calgua is we're setting up a large randomized um, blinded clinical trial where we, so they're gonna collect uh, more than 400 donors of like for potential convalescent plasma um, donation. And I, what I did in California is I developed an assay that will actually determine if they have good antibodies against a particular part of the virus that is correlated with neutralizing um, protection. Um, and that's something that has not yet been done, at least in combination with a large clinical trial, or at least not with the specific assay that I've done that is very, very correlated with their neutralizing potential, so their ability to actually kill the virus. So I developed this um, protocol, and I the other main thing is it needs to be if it's a big fancy protocol that requires a bunch of robotics and expensive staff and expensive um, equipment and expensive reagents it's not going to be feasible in guatemala and a lot of latin america or really anywhere that isn't like america or europe so i wanted to make it high throughput and inexpensive and just very accessible and then easy to train lab technicians who routinely run hospital samples so with all those limitations, uh, keeping it at like dollars per plate instead of hundreds of dollars per plate of samples, I developed this assay um, and then I transferred it to uh, Dr. Calgua and his, his colleagues and associates and they're working with um, one of the major hospitals in Guatemala. And they actually started running the assay a couple of weeks ago and they got it running. I had them replicate my protocol exactly. Um, it, it was like basically a step-by-step -step very, very detailed user manual, and they've been collecting patient plasma and, and basically making sure that it's robust and that we can, they, they can replicate the results that I got in, in our lab in the US with COVID positive samples. So um, we're working on like getting final approvals from Guatemalan government and agencies, but we're about to kick off a very large clinical trial where we're going to show that if you can actually test if that person has strong neutralizing antibodies against the virus and only select top tier donors. So instead of taking all donors, only take the best 10%, then you actually could improve the clinical outcomes of that plasma therapy. So that's the goal. Nice. Yeah. That's that's good. Good. When's pandemic two come out? <laughs> um, I don't know. They, as far as I know, they, I mean, they haven't contacted me about anything. So I don't or you think, might not be able to say. No, I, I actually haven't heard anything. Um, we've had a few, like one or two random, like smaller documentary 
producers contact us over the past couple of months. I don't know if any of that has materialized, but um, yeah, I it would be interesting to have a pandemic too because knowing what we know now, like that was right before yeah. it released on January 22nd and then the pandemic hit and then we could have yeah, like, like a, a month later. post-pandemic Well, season. you call it the second wave. That's true, yeah. Pandemic, second wave. It might be like too real. Yeah. Oh, perfect timing like, right now. Everybody wants to know about this yeah. stuff. Yeah. Or you could do you could do a documentary on bed bugs in Montana. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, I can show some gnarly pictures if you guys want to see my face like a balloon. Uh, but yeah, so we're super <laughs> as long as you don't mind us laughing. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. Um, but yeah, we're super stoked about our, our plasma therapy protocol because like we worked in Guatemala for years and like we're always trying to find ways to give back and we've collaborated with USAC on like various smaller things. But this is like our, our first chance that we've had to do something that is like really impactful, not just for Guatemala, but we're planning to actually release this protocol and make it like open source so that anybody in any country of the world can use it and get access to it for like, um, you know, very accessible, I mean, it's free, but they will have to buy the materials, but they're all like very easily attainable. So we're, we're super stoked about that. And like, we really think that we can make an impact in improving the patient outcomes. Cause right now convalescent plasma therapy is just way too hit or miss to rely on it. Like you only put the sickest of the sickest on it. And even then you don't know if it'll work, but if, if we got rid of 90% of the garbage and only picked the top 10% best plasma, then we think that it's really going to like be a, a huge step up. So with with um, uh, uh, Trump getting COVID nineteen and him being injected with that the the, the R one the R Regeneron Regeneron, what did that do to him? Like what what, what is it an injection? Whatever it was a cocktail of drugs, whatever it was. It was probably yeah, an in, it was probably an infusion. So my under, like, I may not be hundred percent correct, but my understanding of the situation is that he received a steroid, which is a common treatment for COVID. I think it's like, starts with a D, mexidone, dimexidone. Anyways, it's a steroid that's commonly used, something like that. Um, and he also took remdesivir and he also, which I think remdesivir is an infusion and he also receive the Regeneron cocktail, which are the um, the monoclonal antibodies mixed together. So it's hard to say if his quick improvement was due to one or all of those or none of those. We really don't know. Um, but it's it's actually really good for us because even though Regeneron is a competitor, it basically put antibody treatments out in the spotlight where it's showing that like not only are they safe but they might actually be doing something like uh, they might actually be a cure um remdesivir will never be a cure it's like a nice back pocket tool to have to um reduce mortality or symptoms a little bit but it's not it's really not going to move the needle that much antibodies are in a different league they can actually go from having a person be extremely sick to curing them Mm. um and and regeneron might be there they might they they might have it. I still think that our antibody is better um, based on the amount. So they had to give Trump about 
eight grams of this. And from that, we can estimate its potency. We would have dosed him at one gram based on the potency of ours. Uh, there can always on, be Coke and Pepsi though, right? Yeah, yeah. That's the thing is there's, there's, more, there's room for more than one player in the mm -hmm. antibody space, Absolutely. just like drugs for any disease. Um, they may be first in class, but we want to be best in class. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, well and also, antibodies, tagline. there's a huge difference. Like, they come from different places. Some antibodies are harvested from people who had recovered. Some come from mice. Some come from other types of technologies. Um, and then they have lots of differences. Like, in general, like synthetic ones? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So, like, you can get them from mice by taking an immunogen, like taking SARS CoV 2 virus and injecting it into mice and then they'll produce antibodies against it. And then you can harvest those antibodies and then like clone them in the lab. And then you have yeah. to humanize them to make them look human. Because if you put a mouse antibody in your body, your body will be like, this is not human. I'm going to go attack it. And then you could get a toxic reaction and die. And um, grow so, a tail. In what? And grow a tail. Yeah, and grow a tail. So like depending on where the antibody originally came from, you have to do a lot of special engineering to make it non-immunogenic and non-toxic. Um, and there's also things that you need to make sure that it doesn't get immediately destroyed by your own immune system or that it's getting properly recycled and all that. Um, and, and that's, I think, where all the differences in these companies come in. And we think we have a real advantage. Like, for example, Eli Lilly has an antibody. Um, I think theirs is a cocktail as well. Um, one came from Abcellera, which is a competitor of ours, interestingly. Another one came from, I think, a Chinese guy who recovered from SARS back in, SARS-CoV-2 back in early 2020. Um, but anyways, the Eli Lilly trial, which was in, I think phase two, maybe phase, I think it was phase two. A couple of days yeah, ago, it got also halted. got halted. Yeah, because there was a severe adverse event. So that usually means some sort of, um, you know, a toxicity issue where someone had a severe reaction. Um, it's unclear or we don't know yet if that happened in the placebo group or in the antibody group. If it happened in the placebo group, it's almost definitely just like, you know, coincidence, fluke event, you know, they, whatever, they got a mite, like, who knows? But if it happened in the antibody group, it could be because of the antibody. And they actually had, so in their antibody, or at least one of them, they had something called effector function in a portion of the antibody. And we have been concerned actually since March that effector function could lead to some adverse um, immunogenicity effects. So uh, we've actually been engineering our antibody to have this effector function knocked out. So it should be more safe than that antibody, which uh, we, we never want to be like, oh, like I told you so, or I got you. But it's just like, when these, when these data come out, it's like, wow, they didn't knock out effector function and then they had to halt their clinical trial. So we're very relieved that we thought of this months ago and um, engineered it accordingly so that we don't even have to think about that as a potential issue in Perfect. ours. So yeah, we've, we've basically covered our bases in terms of making it non-immunogenic, look very human looking, um, like thermostable. So basically it can like survive in the body and not fall apart and, and not be flagged as foreign and all that. So put a lot of effort into making it safe, even more effort into making it safe than we have into making it effective. Although the, it is very potent.
I think that's everybody's biggest fear when the, the cure or the vaccine comes out. Nobody wants to die from it, right? So that's the scary yeah. part. I, everybody, I think, everybody I talk to is like, oh, I don't want to be the first one taking it. I'll see what <laughs> happens, you know? Yeah. I mean, those events, they are rare. While they could happen, I think that they're going to be rare. My real concern is that it's just not going to be effective enough. Um, it, it's more likely going to just not work very well than it is to like be right. dangerous. But we do I'm, need to check for that. Well, I'm not going to any concerts anytime soon, am I? I'm so bummed. Like I, I want to see one concert. That's it. I want to see a concert. I would love to go to like a packed, crowded, sweaty club and like drink some disgusting beers and wear stilettos and like get the stamps on my hand and just like that whole like night experience. Like I want that yeah. so bad. Like a grimy, disgusting bar where it's like the bathroom is more like an outhouse and you're like packed in and people are shoving you and you're like dance. Oh my God, I can't wait. I think Montana's got some yeah. of those bars. <laughs> I'm with you without the stilettos though. See, well, yeah, right, Bond. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think you could do that with hazmat suits though and have like a pretty cool bar experience. The, the, yeah. I bet you they're doing it in Ibiza. Oh, yeah, they're doing a lot of it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I have to say Wyoming. So I drove through like the majority of the states. Uh, we took a different route on the way back. It was more Southern through like Iowa, Nebraska, Colorado, and Utah and Nevada. Um, but on the way there to Wisconsin, we drove through. Um, so I guess it was Oregon and Washington were, were basically like California in terms of COVID. Like people recognized it, were wearing masks, all that. Mm -hmm. um, but then in South Dakota, and Wyoming it was sort of like you wouldn't even know it was a pandemic like nobody wearing masks um these towns are pretty dead anyways so like social distancing might just be due to like lack of population mm -hmm. um but yeah like we would go into gas stations to fill up gas and um the like cash register person would not be wearing a mask and there'd be like 20 people in the store and she's like talking to them and like just no, you would never know. I'm like, wow, this is a different America. Do you wear a mask everywhere you go right now or what? Yeah, yeah, I do. I don't, yeah. I mean, I'm in my house right now, so I'm not wearing one. Yeah, yeah. Um, but Same. yeah, it, it was actually interesting. Like San Francisco compared to Madison and Milwaukee in Wisconsin. In San Francisco, if you go outside, everyone's wearing a mask. Like if you're mm -hmm. just walking the dog, out on the street, even if no one else is around, you're wearing a mask. Um, I, it's just, I don't know if it's like a mandate or if it's just the for, culture, but. For me, the weirdest thing is, do you ever see people in a car by themselves, with no one else in the on. car and they got a mask on? Yeah, I don't love the that. Same I one see today. that. <laughs> it, I see that and what are you protecting yourself from? I don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be nice to get pictures of this for the future when you look back on this, if this ever goes away and think, remember some of these things people were doing. I know. Or the chin diaper, like in the South Park episode. <laughs> oh, yeah. Or the, uh, did you see the people. South Park episode for yeah. COVID? Yeah. Did you watch it? The pandemic yeah. episode? Oh, my God. The pandemic that was so special. Funny. <laughs> yeah, all oh, the my, chin diapers. I let my, my kids favorite? watch it, 11 and 8. and So funny. <laughs> when, when he was having sex with a bat. I <laughs> That's right. I did not explain it to him. I was like, oh, my God. I don't know. Okay. Oh, God. I was, laughing, um, I was laughing my ass off. That was a um, high-rated episode. My but, favorite, my favorite out of the masks is like somebody who's got a big full face and has like a little kid's mask on. So it's just like, 
Yeah, or the people with the big beards that have like a little mask over their mouth. You're like, ugh, <laughs> weird. My favorite's the car by themselves with the mask on. Small mask. Yeah, like in, don't get it. in San Francisco, everybody's wearing masks all the time. There is outdoor dining here and people don't wear masks while they're actually like dining. Um, but for the most part, like I always see people with masks on. But then when I went to Wisconsin, it's like a different world. Like even though I was in the cities, like Milwaukee and Madison, I They're felt cheese. weird. <laughs> They're cheeseheads. Yeah, but I actually felt <laughs> weird. I mean, I'm a cheesehead, born and bred. <laughs> but like I would be walking down the street with the dog wearing a mask, and people would actually look at me weird. They're like, "You must, you must not be from here." Yeah. And I'm like, "What?" Like cases are spiking in Madison, Milwaukee, like a lot, like even more than San Francisco. And I was like, why? Like people would wear masks like at the grocery store and at the gas station, it was like 50, 50, but in general, like just outside people weren't wearing them. And, and like people were much more open to having like, like group dinners outside and even indoor dining, which still blows my mind that, pe that people would eat. And that's like, you, I wouldn't do that in San Francisco. Um, but yeah, it's just like the difference in a like mindset towards COVID is just it's wild. And, and these we are still have indoor dining. We have well, it spread out. We have it spread out yeah. here now. Yeah, it is here too. I think a couple weeks ago, San Francisco opened for like twenty or twenty-five percent capacity indoor dining. Yeah. yeah. Um, but we went a solid seven, eight months with without anything like no hair yeah. salons, no nail salons. Yeah, um, we no went dining. a good chunk too. There's some great haircuts. Still yeah, I still have my COVID due. Still have my COVID due. I haven't had it cut since I went to Curacao in February. <laughs> See, my, looks... my wife cut my hair for the last three months. Mine, mine cut mine the last two months. She's still doing it. So. Think of the money you're saving, Trev. Think yes. of the money you're trading. And you're bringing back Kurt Cobain. You're bringing back grunge. Right? Part, part in the middle. It's Absolutely. All it's all Call good. it whatever you want. Yeah. The they 90s are, are in style yeah. again now. There we go. Yeah, as soon as I got to Wisconsin and as soon as my quarantine was over, I was like, I'm going to dye my hair purple because the salons are open. So that's what I did. Nice. Good First on you. Thing. Excellent. That's all you need is a plaid shirt there, Trev. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, Sarah, thanks again for, for joining us. Um, can we have you on yeah, again awesome. and kind of get an update on where you're at with everything? Um, yeah, of give course. Us the cure. Give us the cure of COVID. That's what we want you to Well, the next Please. couple months are going to be really exciting, and I, I'm going to have a lot of cool updates. So our, our ferret study is scheduled to start on November 15th. Um, so we'll have some preliminary results soon. Um, the pig studies will start either in December or January for flu. Let's see, our COVID antibody therapeutic should start clinical trials in early 2021 and our convalescent plasma therapy is basically that clinical trial is starting in guatemala soon and they're just like setting things up for it right now so yeah we'll have a lot of cool stuff to talk about and hopefully i don't get bed bugs again oh my gosh mm -hmm. and next yeah, time you gotta bring uh, the pictures of it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. well actually so we'll, we'll, on my way we'll back sorry what's that let me know via email what's going on. Yeah. And, and we'll, we'll make sure you send the pictures. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And we got to drop that. What was the name of the place in Montana? Uh, Mountain View Lodge. Mountain View. And where was it? Where was it? It was like some bean. Two name. star. 
It was in Bozeman, Montana. Bozeman, that's where it was. And could you see the mountains? Did you have uh, a good mountain view? Kind of, but it no, was No, she had so... a parking lot view. Garden view, right? <laughs> um, we had a view of the train tracks, actually. Um, oh, false advertising there, too. That yeah, goes in the review. But it was actually so smoky that we couldn't, we couldn't see much. We actually wanted to check out Bozeman because we've heard it's like a cute like little town that's it was well recommended from friends, but um, the air quality was so bad that my app said, don't go outside. So I was like, okay, well, I'll just sit in here and get bit by bed bugs instead. So that's what I did. No. <laughs> but, but yeah, but they accused me of being a drug addict. Um, and that's why yeah. I got the bites, obviously. So obviously Mountain View Lodge in Montana. Yeah. Accused you of being a drug addict. Yeah. Don't go there. Netflix star scientist. Yep just casually leaves a trail of needles wherever she goes and blames and, it on bed bugs. And, 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 and they're accusing you not even being a good drug drug user because you're injecting your face. Right into my face, like all over like my cheek. All kinds yeah. of insults there at the same time. Yeah, yeah, none, <laughs> none on the inner arm, just straight to the cheek. <laughs> the veins are better there, right? <laughs> Eyeball. Well, thanks very much, Sarah. We really appreciate you. Uh, tuning in yeah. uh and and joining us and giving us your insight on all of that we'd love to have you back i can't we will have you i back. want to see pandemic too me too well thank you guys so pandemic much pandemic two rise of the bed send bugs. us your cure send us your cure <laughs> yeah. well right now she's on protozone and benadryl no so that's not her that cure, cure. the plasma oh. <laughs> yeah prednisone's cheap it's not regulated at all because nobody wants to be on it <laughs> oh. Oh, fair enough. so many horrible side effects no no benefits and canadians will do it still <laughs> but anyways yeah thank you guys so much this was super fun um i don't i know it's not like your usual topic arena but i i enjoyed it nonetheless no i love it i love hearing no. about it it educates no, it, us yeah, that's what we're yeah, looking yeah. to do is educate us and our and our viewers it always ties into the economy somehow right that's true there's there's economic impacts as a result of everything that's going on so we're, we're everyone's all got it on their mind right now Everyone, that's true so. yeah and i mean we're trying to get the word out about sendivax the company and take on investment and all that so we mm -hmm. are we are very aligned that's for sure awesome show. keep up the great work all right thank yeah. you yeah keep up the great work and keep 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 us posted um thanks everyone for listening share it care uh spread the word on sentivac and all what the, all the good that they're doing and make sure you go and leave a bad review about Mountain View Lodge. Yeah. yeah. Even if you, and, and listeners, even if you didn't stay there, just say that you did. Yeah. yeah. And, say they and, accused and you of the needles. your face as well. <laughs> yeah, Don't lie. the needles Don't through yours. <laughs> yeah, I was room 127. Don't stay in room oh, Don't stay in 127 with the, with the right. train track view. No. All right, uh, Josh, oh. uh, take it away. Oh, wait. Uh, thanks for our uh, sponsor, Brand Boulevard. And uh, yes, you got your little book, right? I did. Uh, Thank you. It is great. I've already been writing in it. I love those leather great. bound That's books. That's where the cure feel... has to be written. Yeah. In yeah. that book. Like heavy and important. And I feel like I'm writing history in it. Nice. You're good. You may be. Thank you, Brand Boulevard, for that. Thank you. Help, help us help you stay informed. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. 
I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people, he, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast, heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from jeffwoodsradio.com. Produced by Cryer Media and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company. 